applying AI is going to let us move quicker. It's going to improve decision making. It's going to let us do things with our data that we're not doing right now. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, DISA's hosting and compute center is smashing its strategic goals. And the latest on how the DOD is leveraging the joint warfighting cloud capability for edge computing and more. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget on Wednesday released draft guidance on the use of artificial intelligence for federal agencies just two days after the Biden administration issued its landmark executive order on AI. The brief, which was announced as Vice President Kamala Harris visited the United Kingdom for an international summit focused on the technology, covers a range of AI applications that are or might be used by the government. The memo underscores the importance of AI innovation, instructing agencies to develop IT infrastructure, collect data for AI training, and explore generative AI applications. It also highlights AI systems with potential safety and rights impacts, such as automated security and emotion detection technology, which will face new requirements. The OMB guidance mandates federal agencies to designate a chief AI officer to oversee AI coordination, innovation, and risk management. It further requires agencies to establish AI governance bodies and develop enterprise AI strategies. It also builds upon the administration's blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights and NIST's risk-based AI risk management framework, focusing on a rights-based approach to AI regulation. Continuing on the topic of the AI executive order, the National Institute of Standards and Technology has initiated the creation of an AI Safety Institute consortium following the release of the EO earlier this week. NIST is inviting organizations to join this initiative by showcasing their expertise in developing or deploying trustworthy AI and models or products supporting it. The consortium is a crucial component of NIST's U.S. AI Safety Institute, aiming to collaborate with government agencies, businesses, and communities to ensure the safety and trustworthiness of AI systems. The effort also aligns with the executive order's requirements of developing guidelines for generative AI, content differentiation, and AI evaluation benchmarks. The consortium's activities will commence once the necessary organizations express interest and meet the requirements, but no earlier than December 4th. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. DISA's hosting and compute center was stood up in 2021 to empower the warfighter to execute at the speed of mission with cloud computing and other hosting and computing services. Now, two years later, the hack, as it's called, is smashing its strategic goals out of the park while leading the administration of one of the largest and highest profile cloud computing contracts in all of the government. Sharon Woods, the director of The Hack, joins the Daily Scoop podcast to discuss the latest on the joint warfighting cloud capability, what the center has in store next, and much, much more. Sharon, so good to see you again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. 
Thanks, Billy. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with everyone. Well, we've got a lot to discuss today um, in, in what the hack has been doing since it was founded uh, not too long ago. But to start in 2022, you released an action plan for the hack um, to run through 2024. And I'd love to start there to hear about the priorities that you think stand out the most as part of that action plan. And, you know, really what progress you've made so far uh, on that action plan in the time since you launched it. Yeah, so fiscal year 2023 has been an exciting year for us because like you said, we made the action plan through fiscal year 24. Uh, we actually completed the items that were in our plan. So one of the things we're in the process of doing <clears throat> is formulating an updated uh, forward-looking uh, action plan for our, our next round. But in terms of uh, fiscal year 2023, there are three items that I would highlight. The first is that we awarded the joint for fighting cloud capability contract. Uh, that was huge, right? That's something the department has been looking to do for a number of years. Uh, the, the contracts were awarded to Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Oracle, has a $9 billion ceiling, uh, task orders it competed. It includes all classification levels and edge offerings. So that was definitely an exciting uh, accomplishment for us. Uh, and, and I'm happy to say we have over $250 million worth of awards so far. So it's, it's definitely gotten off to a good start. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so one of the other things we've done too is expand our Stratus private cloud capability. We added utility billing, uh, which you know resulted in some great cost savings for our customers. Uh, it was 13% for our Nipper unclassified customers. And then we're projecting 30% uh, for our classified SIPR customers, which really just lets them reinvest <clears throat> their funding into their mission. Uh, we also uh, were really focused on Oconus cloud deployment, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I won't I won't get into the details there. Um, but the last one is our Vulcan DevSecOps project. Uh, we launched and got authorizations for uh, three different tool sets: uh, Jira, Confluence, and GitLab. Uh, that one has also really gotten off the ground well. Uh, we have almost 5,000 users in our free Git.mil instance, and we're transitioning to a paid service and already have a lot of customers lined up. So some huge successes for us, uh, really exciting. A lot of momentum's been built. And so we're, we're really looking forward to fiscal year 24. Well, those those topics really set us up for a good conversation, and there's definitely a lot to dig into there that I'm I'm, I'm hoping to talk about. But let's start back with JWCC. I don't need you to necessarily, uh, you, you've kind of already done a great uh, job introing that and sort of explaining the work that you've done. I'm, I'm curious, you know, as as the, the Department of Defense looks more into the cloud um, and, and really thinks about JADC2 as part of that and really moving things to the edge, how is JWCC really uh, enabling that? because that seems the, the, the direction that so much of, of the department is moving towards. Yeah, so we definitely have a number of orders that you know explicitly uh, <clears throat> play into Chad C2, uh, which is, you know that, that was a huge part of the contract was really providing that operational capability. Uh, JWCC offers a full suite of edge offerings uh, for all four vendors and I would say it, there is no other contract that provides as many edge offerings as JWCC does. My expectation is over the coming year, there will be more and more focus on the edge offerings. 
think right now people are starting with unclassified. We have a number of classified task orders. Uh, you know, like we've discussed, there's there's definitely an emphasis on uh, JADC2. But I think for the edge offerings, they really fall into two buckets. Uh, one is tactical edge offerings. So those tend to be the, um, the smaller capabilities, form factors that are in those highly disrupted, unpredictable, unpredictable environments where the warfighter operates. And so that's what people tend to think of when they think of tactical edge. And then there are the operational edge capabilities. So not tactical, but definitely OCONUS. And so it's all about pushing applications and data closer to the user uh, so that there's um, not the kind of latency that we tend to experience. You can't count on connection. So it, you know, being close to the user and the point of collection is really important. So I do think over the coming year, we'll see more emphasis on some of the edge offerings. And, you know, you, you continue, continually mention OCONUS, and I think it sounds like that's a big, you know, focus for the hack and DISA. And, you know, it makes sense. A lot of, you know, if you think about moving into battle and operations in, in a conflict, that's going to happen OCONUS in, in most cases. So um, tell me more about the, the recently launched OCONUS cloud capability and how that is going and how that capability is being used so far. Sure. So, you know, we are actually executing two different efforts simultaneously uh, around OCONUS Cloud. Uh, one is our Stratus Private Cloud capability, and we stood up a OCONUS Cloud region out of Hawaii. Uh, so uh, that I think is is key to provide that on-prem option for some of our customers. Uh, but then we also are launching. Uh, a commercial cloud edge offering that's called Joint Operational Edge. Uh, that was actually started out of DOD CIO, it transitioned to DISA hack uh, for execution. And so we have deployed our first instantiation of that operational edge offering that I talked about before, where it's not necessarily tactical in the battlefield, uh, but it is pushing OCONUS closer to the point of collection and the point of need. And based on you know, both of those, we anticipate deploying more OCONUS cloud regions for Stratus, as well as using our current pilot for Joe as a template to then deploy uh, in other regions, as well as more you know, additional vendors. Uh, so I, I think it's important to have that variability and optionality, and that's something Hack has to provide options to all of our customers so that they're able to get capability in a variety of ways and it's not a one-size-fits-all solution yeah and i i, I think that's so interesting because I, I i think we've talked about this before the, the hack is not just about the cloud it's about all infrastructure to support the computing so i think that variability is interesting uh to to keep an eye on but you know i'm curious obviously i think there's unique challenges when you think about oconus given the governance of of, of th the data and things of that nature but um can you tell me about you know the uniqueness of, of moving into oconus and some of um you know how it's different than perhaps working with cloud here in in conus yeah, so, I mean, the huge difference is the location, as you can imagine, right? I mean, we, that's sort of obvious we're talking about that, but it's that transport reliance uh, that that happens when the capability isn't able to offer, uh, operate disconnected. And so that is one of the distinguishing features of an edge capability. 
So what you'll see is there'll be an application in the core cloud environment hosted CONUS, but then there will be deployments where they're pushing the application and data into the smaller edge form factors. And so there's this synchronization that happens. And in a steady state, that synchronization is, is constant. Um, but then if disconnection does occur, the edge form factor is able to continue operating. It can continue to host the collected data and process that data so that rapid decision-making is still happening in theater. And then when connection is reestablished, it can resynchronize with the core cloud environment. And so it's this multi-layered approach uh, that recognizes that transport is not always available and the technology allows for that disconnected state and then the resynchronization. And it's a really powerful capability when you think about you know, the mission of the Department of Defense. That sounds in incredibly interesting and um, very technical and like a big, um, you know, a complex thing to pull off. So, so kudos on that. Um, I want to go back to Vulcan now because you mentioned it, and I think we followed it to some degree when it was in more of a pilot stage. Um, obviously, that's focused on DevSecOps, um, and I, I understand based on what you said, it's now received ATOs or or some of the tools has received ATOs under under the program. So, what are the next steps for the vision of uh, what you hope Vulcan will become uh, under this is or the Hacks portfolio of offerings? So I think the key emphasis in fiscal year 23 will be building out those pipeline templates. Uh, so we have the tooling right now, but extend it uh, so that you get an even fuller, you know, uh, continuous integration, continuous development experience and the security, and you're able to, in a very highly automated way, build those applications. We've had some great experiences with different customers uh, one of them that I would highlight is uh, DFAS. DFAS is the financial and accounting uh, services agency for the department. Um, may sound kind of boring numbers, but everyone gets paid through DFAS, right? All of the contracts and payments get pay, uh, processed through DFAS. So if those aren't processed, things aren't moving and people aren't getting paid. So it's a profound mission. And so they have a financial system that's used by uh, three different Air Force logistics centers in support of detail, uh, depot maintenance activities. And so they have now incorporated the Vulcan DevSecOps tooling, which is enabling them to move quicker. It's enabling and driving innovation and allowing them to accelerate their modern, uh, modernization. So I think these capabilities, um, you know, one of the key tenants is speed. And we can't move quickly enough, right? And I think current events really illustrate that, you know, you never know what's going to happen next. And the mission is dynamic. And by incorporating things like DevSecOps, you can move so much faster with a higher level of quality and a higher level of security. You know, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, too, it, it, AI is something that we hear so much about. Um, and I know that it may not be necessarily in, in line with the, the things that Hack is providing and offering, but, you know, with all of the focus on AI of late, I'm, I'm curious, is that a topic that the Hack is turning its attention to in any way as the cloud and other, you know, forms of compute are sort of a foundational layer to, to set that up for success? Absolutely. So we're already using AI because uh, it's embedded in a lot of the security features in cloud offerings. And that's a really powerful tool, uh, as you know. 
Uh, and we're looking to incorporate additional offerings, um, you know, additional capabilities on the back end, right? Where we're deploying communications, we're deploying the data centers, we're gathering so much data about the quality of service, where there are vulnerabilities. And so applying AI is gonna let us move quicker. It's going to improve decision-making. It's going to let us do things with our data that we're not doing right now. So I think our focus on AI is going to be more on the back end of how do we incorporate AI uh, into our administration capabilities so that we're providing an even more robust service. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, so Sharon, we've talked about a lot uh, in this short amount of time, and it seems like you've accomplished a lot. It, it, it sounds like you've overachieved when it came to the strategic planning, getting done with a lot of those things earlier than um, you know you set out to. What comes next? What is, what are some of the the big um, you know goalposts for where you're you're taking the hack uh, next? Yeah, so I think our action plan once we release that, it's going to uh, have four key tenets, if you will. Um, the first one is you know transforming into the preferred hybrid cloud provider for the warfighter. We've already been on that trajectory. I think it's just honing that even more, especially when you think about Oconus cloud capabilities and, and that increased focus on hybrid cloud, which is really where the department is moving. I think people have recognized that there tends to be a persistent on-prem requirement. Sometimes it's just for backup, uh, and then they have their commercial cloud presence. And so we want to be front and center and being able to support hybrid cloud architectures. The other is establishing a superior customer service experience. I think, you know, an application could be incredibly designed and developed, but if that customer experience is a poor one, it's not going to be successful. And then in addition to that, we are a service provider. And so just customer experience uh, and service holistically is really important. Uh, another tenant uh, is going to be empowering and posturing the workforce uh, to meet evolving mission demands. And DISA has already kicked off a key initiative. They call it Workforce 2025. Uh, and it is all about that. It's about positioning the workforce so that we're able to operate the most modern capabilities, we're able to operate at speed, and then we have an eye towards the future. So our initiative is really just nested under the larger Workforce 2025 initiative that DISA is leading. And so we'll just have a focus on some of our skill sets and making sure we're investing in our workforce. Uh, and then the last one is transforming our IT operating model uh, to optimize our resources, because if we're efficient, we can take our efficiencies and reinvest those in uh, capability development, solutions delivery, and investing in our workforce. So I think efficiencies around software footprint, hardware footprint, flexibility and labor contracts, that's also gonna be a focus so that you know, we have an enduring operating model that's constantly improving itself. And then, you know, just one more time, when should people expect to see that plan and what are the, the, the sort of, what's the term of that, given that this previous one was 2022 through 24, what's this new one gonna look like in, the, in that regard? I do think it'll be a two-year plan, uh, possibly three years, but I think it'll be a two-year horizon. Um, you know, from my perspective, when you look at action plans, the technology and the mission is so dynamic, it's hard to plan out much further than that. Uh, and it should be released in, in the coming weeks. Uh, if it 
if it's released uh, longer than two months, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> so I think uh, we're going to be shooting for probably four to six weeks. We're just putting the finishing uh, finishing touches on it now. That's great to hear. Well, everybody heard it here first. Uh, Sharon, fantastic talking with you as always. And really thanks uh, for the insights today. It's always great to hear what's going on at The Hack and all the great work you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. You can learn more about Dis's hack at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then... I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.